As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. You may be seated. All right. I hope that you guys are having a really wonderful and worshipful Passion Week. Pay no attention to the microphone. Um, I hope that it's been a really worshipful week. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a holiday guy. Uh, This may surprise those of you who know me. I'm not a holiday guy, but I love the Passion Week because of the intentionality that we as Christians can have in worshiping our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that this has been a worshipful week uh, for you as well. I love hanging out uh, with my friends, uh, but one in particular. I love hanging out with my friend and fellow elder, uh, Andrew Rubinson, uh, because I always learn something. There's something just about the man. He knows a lot more than I do, and he teaches me a lot of things. And uh, without even skipping a beat this week, he uh, dropped the French phrase, fait accompli, into a normal conversation. So this wasn't like something where it was like we were having some stilted like conversation. He just uh, dropped it into a conversation. I didn't know what it meant. I don't know. Maybe it's a common phrase. I had no idea. Um, so for those of us who are less learned, fait accompli actually means that it's uh, already been done. It's that moment in the action movie where the bad guy realizes that all of his actions that he has taken have resulted in his own undoing. So the the fate, you can kind of hear the word, but complete is accomplished. It's already been done. The victory was won despite his efforts. Despite all of these evil efforts, they've gone towards the victory of another. And that's what uh, that meant. That's what he taught me this week. And on reading just a little bit about it, I, I realized that uh, for dramatic effect, we're very, we're very familiar with this particular thing that authors who story write do. For dramatic effect, the audience normally discovers alongside the antagonist when this thing is happening. So the art of storytelling is actually giving the audience just enough information for them to see how the evil man was thwarted, but not enough information to see it before the author intended for you to know it. And that's actually what we see that the cross is. 
In fact, specifically, if you want to turn with me to our text for this evening, it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10. And what we will find there is that at the cross, Paul says that that is the exact moment when the folly of God's enemies and also God's power are revealed. That's the faith complete. So if you would uh, read with me here, this is where we're going to spend all of our time this evening. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for they had, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. What we discover in these short verses is that Christ crucified has two things. Christ crucified has two things, and one is the power of God, and the other is the folly of His enemies. Christ crucified is the power of God and the folly of His enemies. Right there in verse uh, 1, Paul comes, and he's coming proclaiming something. If you'll look there with me in the text, it says that he's coming proclaiming the testimony of God. Paul came to Corinth as a storyteller to bear witness about someone and something. However, this story was not his story personally. It was the testimony of God. It was about what God was doing. Paul had shared this with the Corinthians, but now he is actually writing back to them saying, I, did, I, I shared this testimony with you, but I did it in a very specific way. He says, I did it in a very certain way. What does he say? He says that I shared this testimony with you, but not with lofty speech or with wisdom. I used a different kind of speech, a different kind of wisdom. In verse 2, we see, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Paul is saying here that he, uh, he told them two things. He said, I knew Jesus and I knew His crucifixion. I knew Jesus. I met him. I was taught by him. I love him. And I also know him crucified. Paul wasn't saying, or, uh, uh, what Paul is saying is that he wasn't in Corinth to uh, be a purveyor of philosophy or worldly wisdom or stilted traditions. Paul was in Corinth bearing testimony to his friend and his king, Jesus. And he wanted to introduce to the Corinthians this man named Jesus and his crucifixion. But what Paul is also saying is not just that he knew him, but that you can't know Jesus without knowing his crucifixion. And I wonder if you understand that. Let's, let, let's be just uh, totally blunt and honest 
I wonder if you understand who Jesus is. Do you ever feel as if you just can't wrap your mind around Jesus or around the gospel? Have you ever felt like that? I know that I have. I know that on weeks like this, I have this like internal sense and this feeling that I need to have some kind of experience or worship or something surrounding the gospel, some sort of knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And a lot of times, weeks like this, I feel like they just kind of wash over, they pass me by. I don't quite get there. I wonder if you feel the same way. You just didn't feel like you quite connected or understand this man named Jesus. Here's something that's really encouraging. Paul's with us. He's with us. In verse 3, he said that he's with us in our weakness, in our fear, in our trembling. That, that, that in all honesty, that the testimony of Jesus does not make sense as wisdom. It doesn't make sense as like wisdom of man. The gospel is not something that if you just went to go out and write it, that some man would write up because it doesn't make logical sense. And he says, I, I, I totally agree with this in weakness and fear and trembling. I didn't quite understand it. And this is why new veins of sociology and psychology of Jesus in the Bible essentially being kind of an evolved meta-narrative. Have you heard this? From guys like Jordan Peterson, they say, well, I don't believe in uh, who Jesus actually said that he was. I, I believe that it was a story. It was like an evolved story that's kind of a part of a meta-narrative for us to know and understand who we are and for us to be able to cope with this world. That's why those kind of philosophies will fail and fade over time is because they don't make logical sense. The story of the gospel does not make sense the way that manly wisdom the way that the wisdom of this world would have it make. And that's what Paul's saying here. You can't wrap your mind around this man or what he did. I think that uh, Paul even uh, puts this uh, really frankly. He says that his uh, speech and his message were not plausible words of wisdom. They don't make worldly sense. Christ crucified, God himself coming and dying for his people. That's not a story that you would just conjure up in and of yourself. And in verse 6, he puts this fact more plainly. It is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. Why? Look there, because they are doomed. That's an interesting way of putting it, that the wisdom or rulers of this age the rulers of this age. You kind of get this sense that he's talking about something that's not just worldly. It's like the rulers of this age. Like none of us really talks like that. What is he talking about? Is he talking about uh, kings and uh, princes and principalities? Of course, of course. But you get this understanding or this sense that there is something more that he is talking about. 1 John five nineteen says that uh, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That is Satan. Ephesians 2, 2 says that there is a prince of the power of the air. So when, when Paul is saying that uh, it's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, I would submit to you that he's not only talking about man, he's talking about the spiritual forces of evil as well. So let's get back to the fait uh, accompli. How is Christ crucified, the folly of God's enemies? How is Jesus' death 2,000 years ago, the fait accompli? Verse 7 tells us. 
We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which he decrees before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The rulers of this age, Satan and man alike, did not see God's secret and hidden and decreed wisdom until it was far too late. What this verse is actually saying is, is that if the rulers of this world, if Satan had known and understood what it was that Jesus was up to, they wouldn't have crucified him because that's what he came here to do. And they didn't see what he was up to until it was too late. Acts 2.23 says this, that it was by God's definite plan and foreknowledge that lawless men crucified Jesus. Hebrews 2.14 says that through death he might, this is Jesus, that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. They didn't see it. They didn't understand it. How is Christ crucified? The folly of God's enemies? God's enemies thought that killing Jesus would be an end of Jesus and the end of God's plan. Instead, Jesus' death was the end of the tyranny of sin in the hearts of those who would put their trust in him. In a word, Jesus' death was our justification. Why is Good Friday good? Because in a word, Jesus' death was our justification. Jesus took the world of sin and put it on himself and took and paid the due penalty for it. Those sins were done. They were paid for. They were finished there on the cross of Christ, and Satan didn't even see it coming. Christ crucified was the folly of the wisdom of this world and foiled the plot of the rulers of this age. How is Christ crucified the folly of the enemies? Jesus put an end to death. All that the rulers of this age were after was for death to continue to reign. And Jesus comes and dies and he puts an end to all of it. That is how he makes folly the wisdom of this age. But the second question isn't just how did he make that folly. It's how is Christ crucified also the power of God? Verse 5 says, Your faith doesn't rest in the wisdom of man. Praise God. Your faith does not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. And then there's this uh, little uh, poetry that is recited here. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The power of God is not just that. Jesus' secret rescue mission foiled his enemies and paid for your sins. Jesus at the cross also gives you his righteousness. There's two things that happen there at the cross. When you hear this word justification, I want you to know that it is not just that Jesus took your sins. That's the most common thing that we say happens on the cross. We say, well, what was the exchange? What was the exact transaction that happened on the cross? Well, I gave Jesus, I gave the Son of Man all of my sins. And you're not wrong, but you're not totally right. There, Jesus takes your sins on himself and puts them to death with him. But the other side of the transaction, the credit, 
side of the transaction is that you get his righteousness. That's the power of God. That's what Paul is saying is the actual power of God. Brothers and sisters, you are righteous in Christ. The power of God is something you could never have imagined, never conjured up. It's not something that uh, worldly wisdom could have come up with in some way. You are the righteousness of Christ, and that is the power of God. Christian, your sins have been justified, every single one of them. And now, if you are in Christ, you stand rightly in front of God the Father. That's the power. That's the power of God. Christ crucified. Christ crucified on this thing that we call Good Friday is the power of God, and it is folly to his enemies, and that is good. Have you ever, do you feel a sense of discomfort with the title Good Friday? Does it seem a little strange? It does a little but not if you understand that all of your sins have been put on Christ and that you have received his righteousness and that that is the power of God and that God made the decision to fool his enemies. It's good news. But but here's what I want to do, and this is the last thing that we're going to do. It's a very short service today, okay? But I have an activity for you. Because again, sometimes we let these holidays come and they go, and we don't really apply them personally. I've got a personal application for you this evening. I want you to do two things. I want forever, close your eyes if you need to. Kids, this is for you too. If you're able, if the Spirit gives you understanding, I want you to do this also. I want you to think about two things. I want you to think real hard about what was the last sin that you remember committing? It doesn't have to be big. It could be taking the pen out of like the little tube thing at the bank, like you, you stole it. You broke God's law. You took the pen. It could be really small. It could be a harsh word to a spouse. It could be stealing time from your employer today. It could be, uh, you know, just not honoring God with your speech. I don't know what it is, but I want you to go back to just think hard. What was the last thing? What was the last thing that you that you transgress against the law of God? And then, and then I want you to think separately. This one might be more painful for a lot of us. I want you to think not just about the last sin. I want you to think about the largest sin. Maybe it's the sin that nobody knows about. You you might be tempted in this moment to think, man, Chris, this is a strange application for a Good Friday. Here's the truth. As Protestants, we're not much of a confessing people. It might sound strange to you. There, There are denominations where you literally go and you sit in a booth and you like confess sins. And I'm not all on board with all of that. But one of the things that it does is it allows you to regularly apply the gospel to specific sins. Instead, if you're like me, you kind of just have this idea that, well, like Jesus died for just all of the sins. Well, which ones? Well, just all of them. And, and by taking a moment, and I hope you have, just to think about the last one to think about the biggest one. I want for us to apply the gospel in this moment. I want you to understand that the power of God in the crucified Christ reaches across time and space to gather up your last sin. That last one, no matter how, many, how small or trivial it was, 
to gather up your biggest sin, the thing that you just, you like still feel weighted down by. He reaches across all of time and space and he, he brings that back and puts it on his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross and it's done. D-O-N-E, done. It's finished. Jesus on the cross has these sweet words. It is finished. I want for us to do one last thing, just in a moment of silence, and Andrew and Whitley are going to come back up. I want you to pray and thank God that he displays his power and his graciousness towards you. Confess those sins to him. And, and I want you in the midst of the prayer, I'm going to guide you through it, but in the midst of this prayer, I want for you to just feel those sins just pulled away from you, eviscerated by the love of God. They're not on you anymore. Bow with me. God and Father, this is a good day. It's a hard day. We read passages like Carl just read, and we're reminded that a crown of thorns was just pounded into the brow of our great Savior. It's a hard day to realize that Jesus had nails put through his arms that we deserve, that he struggled for his last breaths. God and Father, Good Friday is hard. Oh, but it is good. Father, you did not leave us alone with our sins to just decay and rot for all of eternity, to be punished in the midst of them. You made a way for us to be with you again. Spend a moment confessing these last two sins to God. Give thanks to our Father that he has separated your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Father, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, so I pray that you would allow for us to feel the assurance of our faith, feel the assurance of our forgiveness this evening. Father, if there is one, even one in this room who does not know you, who has not handed their sins over to Christ, for him to die once and for all for the judgment of those things, Father, I pray that they would put their faith in you, that they would plead with you for grace, and that they would feel you smiling on them. Father, we give you thanks for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we confess these things to you, not because the work of confession will bring about con uh, forgiveness for us. We already have it in Christ, but we do confess them to you just to enjoy the good pleasure of hearing you say righteous over us. Father, for your great grace, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and sing. Amen. Mm -hmm.